thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, today we have Don Sheriffs from the Environmental Defense Fund with us today. If uh, Don, if you want to go ahead and take it away and get started with our presentation, that'd be awesome. Great, and thanks for having me. Uh, for folks that I haven't met yet, um, I'm the State Director for Florida for the Environmental Defense Fund. Um, a long history working on environmental issues in Florida from Everglades restoration to energy and growth management. So um, coming with lots of those different hats, uh, coastal resilience, electric vehicles, you name it. Um, and so what I wanted to do today was share with you not just how to do Advocacy 101 in the abstract, but actually how to sort of use a case study to show, you know, not just the how-to, but what it looks like in practice. Um, and then we can certainly uh, talk through any questions. Um, so I'll go ahead and share this screen. Um, but we can try the right one. Okay. All right. So today, what we're going to talk about is energy. So all of you are likely already fully, you know, aware of why. Um, you know, talking about energy transition is an important part of climate change um, solutions for Florida. Um, it represents about half of our carbon emissions. Um, and so we need to be really mindful of if we want to slow climate change and we want to reduce our emissions in Florida, uh, we really can't stay away from energy and uh, transportation because those are, are really, you know, make up almost 90% of our emissions. So we're gonna sort of walk through how we're running this campaign and sort of how it uh, tracks with what you would do under any, any campaign scenario. And for those of you that don't know EDF uh, well, we are a global organization, about a thousand staff worldwide, primarily economists and scientists. And so we tend to come in um, to the lens at that angle. There are a lot of ways to do advocacy, including grassroots. Um, just a little bit less of what I'll talk about, but I just wanted to sort of share that there's a there's a variety of flavors of um, advocacy, but we are very focused on policy advocacy on climate change. Let's get this slide to go. All right, so here's the cheat sheet on advocacy 101. Um, I can't see the. I don't know how to move this? There we go. Um, so the first thing you want to do uh, when you're planning on, on some change-making strategies, really, really spend the time to define the issue and the goals. I can easily say to you, oh, energy causing carbon emissions, so we need to tackle energy. But like, you have to kind of get in the weeds because until you really understand uh, all of the, the factors in how um, that you know, issue is contributing and what specific pieces play in, it's gonna be really hard to have an effective advocacy campaign. So spend the time up front, do the homework, dig deep, um, and then make sure you have set your goals. What does success look like? And you're probably gonna to wanna to have a couple secondary goals, whether they're interim um, goals for one year one or year three, um, but expect they're going to have to have some willingness to compromise with allies, with policymakers, whoever that is. So, you know, walking in with, with a sense of, of full knowledge and, and some realistic, actionable goals is the most important step. You can't skip it. You can't cheat. There's no shortcuts. The next one is equally as important. Identifying the decision maker. I know this sounds easy. Oh, well, it's a state uh, decision, so it's the governor, except it's not. It's never that easy. Um, oftentimes there are multiple layers of decision makers and 
you want to have as focused a target as possible. Ideally, you know, you don't want to have a decision maker in, in the case of an energy plan that's the Public Service Commission, um, because while they may be setting rates and policy around energy, they are not elected officials. They are appointed by the governor, um, but advocacy to them, because they don't have any sort of way to be held accountable through elections, is difficult. So sometimes you really have to figure that out. In, in some instances on an energy play, the decision maker might be the utility itself and someone specific in the utility. If you cannot name the actual human being with the power to make the decisions, you can't really build a strong advocacy campaign around them because these things are all really personal. And in order to have a power map sort of built out, you really have to understand who you're targeting. So if I'm targeting, you know, in, in any scenario, let's say I'm targeting the governor, I'm looking around at who else he has relationships with. How do I build around that person? You can't do that with a department name um, or a, you know, agency. You need to really have a human being or, or a couple human beings. And you have to do your homework then on where they are on the issue um, so that you understand. Generally speaking, if you're like, oh, my decision maker is Wilton Simpson at the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. And a quick Google tells me all of his funding comes from my opposition and he is on the record 10 times saying this isn't going to work. Well, then you're going to have a very different campaign strategy, right? You're, you're not going to have a goal set to move that individual. You're going to have to find a different pathway, one that might be, you know, around holding others accountable, holding him accountable for decisions. So there's a lot of different ways that you'll get to what your strategy is based on those first two steps. The third one, I can argue with lots of folks about this, but I, it is fun to focus on the problem. And actually, most of us in the environmental community do that a lot of the time. However, I do tend to think it's less effective. Um, if we can't show a path forward, all we do is make people angry and frustrated. And that's not helpful. So sometimes we have to name the problem, but if we can show what is possible, either through examples that happen in other places or research or, you know, whatever it is, like we need to be able to show a path forward because if the policymakers or decision makers can't get there, you're never going to win. And so we have to do the work and lay out that roadmap for them. And I really think if you walk in and, you know, you're like, hey, we know you care about this issue and we want to see you succeed on it. We're here to help. Here's the path. You're going to get a lot more buy-in early on than, hey, why aren't you doing something about this? This is bad, right? You see the tone difference? Um, and so we'll, after this slide, we'll go through kind of how we, how we are approaching these. But then the, the final step, which is definitely a rinse and repeat step, is build power and use it. I don't care how big your organization is. I don't care how much money you have. It is extremely unlikely you are able to go it alone. So you have to figure out who your allies are. You have to, you know, really, really do the work to educate folks, bring them in, make it matter to them. And then don't be afraid to use that power when it's time. So now I'm going to kind of walk you through what that looks like in a campaign that we're currently working on. So we talked a little bit about uh, defining the issue. So for us, 
the issue isn't just carbon emissions in the energy sector, it's very specific. Those emissions are not just coming from the energy sector, they are coming predominantly from natural gas being used for power generation, which makes up 75% of the power that we use in Florida. So we had to talk a little bit about, let me see if I get this out of the way, yeah. Um, natural gas rather than carbon emissions broadly, right? So that we can get really, really focused in on, on a solution. Well, one of the things that, that we learned early on was Jeb Bush was concerned about this in 2015. We were about 50% reliant on natural gas at that time. And so the way that we tend to sort of focus on this is like, you know, I recognize that some of the targets for this campaign are not uh, interested in reducing carbon emissions for climate change purposes, right? That's not their why. And I know that because of who I have identified. Um, and in this case, it is the governor as well as uh, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services um, commissioner, because he is in charge of the Department of Energy and the governor is a char in charge of appointing public service commissioners um, and approving any legislation. So there's those two individuals probably not gonna lead for the same reasons we might be thinking about. But if you go to them and say, hey, we actually have all of our eggs in one basket and that's a concern. And it's a concern that's been raised by conservatives because it is a fiscal risk. It is an energy security risk. And so we show that, right, with our, our Jeb Bush quote and we really dig in, I mean, we personalize this. Like if I asked all of you right now, if you wanted 75% of your retirement portfolio, call up your advisor right now and say, please put that all in one single stock. I'm guessing I'd have no takers, right? Because it's risky. So we really needed to sort of shape that. We needed to show that this over-reliance is a risk for Florida. Oops, can't get this then we have to explain why. Well, does it matter if natural gas is, you know, doesn't, Maybe, maybe not. Well, it does. And the reason it does is because it's an extremely volatile market. We make the case that, you know, just this year alone, Florida residents picked up another $3.5 billion in electric rates because natural gas prices fluctuated because of the war in Ukraine, amongst other things. But that means, you know, I personally was paying 18% more for the gas part of my power bill than I was in August the year before, right? So we need to make it a problem that is tangible. So we're not just saying natural gas bad and solar good. We're explaining why that is a problem for Florida residents and Florida businesses. Florida, it, as an aside, natural gas is actually projected to double um, over the next decade. So this is a long-term problem that we're gonna continue to face. Okay, so now it's a problem. We get that it's hurting people, but like who, right? Because like, the who matters. If it's hurting a bunch of, you know, Democrats in one, you know, really, really progressive corner of the state, does this administration get us concerned, right? I mean, it's just a fair question. Like you have to know who the targets care about being impacted and try to connect the dots. So we did some research um, identifying who is paying the highest cost and enduring the highest energy cost burdens across Florida. In this case, the data was really clear. It's in Florida's rural communities, which by the way, are predominantly Republican. Now, EDF is not a partisan organization, but 
the state of Florida has a two-thirds supermajority of Republican legislators. We have a Republican governor, we have a Republican FDAX commissioner. So we're looking at a at a geographic breakdown that is important to their constituency, the constituency that they are are make want to make sure continue to vote for them and their party, right? So not only are Floridians generally so everybody's getting hurt. We generally pay 13% higher than national average. Our rural communities are getting the pain in the worst way. And that's anyone on fixed income too. So we can have this conversation around, um, you know, fixed income seniors or low income communities, you know, across the board. So now we get into some of the messaging a little bit, right? We've done the data, we've identified who it impacts. It's all shaping our, you know, our advocacy points, but, like me, you have probably spent the last 30 or so years hearing that natural gas is cheap, it's clean, and it's reliable. Well, that's a significant headwind to overcome, right? And the goal here isn't to eliminate 100% of natural gas, right? It is to reduce our risk and our carbon emissions. So we just need to speak the truth. We need to get the data um, and showcase this. So there was a report that came out last year uh, about the top 100 worst polluting power plants in the U.S. Florida came in second place for the most polluting power plants um, across the states. We're only behind Texas. And the thing is, everybody says, oh, well, natural gas is clean. Well, actually, those power plants are almost all natural gas plants. So, you know, this is affecting air quality. It is something that we need to be a little bit more honest about. And we bring the data to the party to have that conversation. And we talk about it again, more from a public health issue because of the audience that we're focused on than a environmental issue, but it is both. And we have to talk about cost. It was once true that, so that solar was more expensive than natural gas. It is not, however, true today. So right now we're at about, um, for solar, which is here, um, about 50, uh, I think it's $60 per kilowatt hour for um, new, new solar generation. And it's about 70 for new natural gas generation. And only like two years ago, utilities in Florida were still proposing new natural gas plants. Some still are. Why would we allow utilities, not just to continue to overinvest and make us rely on natural gas, but not actually put forward the cleanest and cheapest of the resources that are available. At the end of the day, ratepayers are paying for those plants. So why isn't our regulatory agency saying, hey, wait a minute, you guys should be using the more cost-effective me method. And that $10 per megawatt hour or kilowatt hour is significant because that doesn't actually include the price of the gas. That's just the creation of the plant. So there's even more savings when you recognize that because Florida doesn't actually generate any natural gas, we have to, we have to import it. It's about $5 billion a year that Florida residents pay in the natural gas or in the gas portion, fuel portion of their bill. So, you know, you set aside the cost savings to set up the plant and you're already getting another $5 billion a year benefit if we were to eliminate importing all that natural gas. And there's risks that comes with that. There's pipelines, there's leaks, um, there's all sorts of reliability concerns. So now we're at the solution. Okay, 
you got me. It's a problem. What can we do? We're not going to just blow up all of the natural gas plants we've already got online. What's step one, right? Step one is we can reduce our waste. We can actually have more energy being put to use without creating new plants with the already existing amount. So how do we do that? You know, anytime we reduce electric use, we're going to reduce the natural gas use automatically. And Florida is one of the only states that does not require the utilities to have energy efficiency goals. So there's opportunity now. We have the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed last year that makes billions of dollars available for energy efficiency opportunities. Specifically in Florida, there's about $350 million available um, for folks to be able to access these different energy efficiency opportunities. And this is at the household level. So, and I'm a full disclosure, you cannot stack every single one of these um, upgrades, right? Some of them are a little redundant. So you can't just kind of run down there and think, oh, yay, I don't have an energy bill anymore. But most families can, can implement a couple of them. And if the state of Florida in specific, the governor and the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services agrees to draw down those funds, which are Florida's fair share of federal funds, then we would actually all be able to get significant reimbursements from those dollars to do these upgrades in our homes, both for owners and renters, that will reduce our bill and will reduce natural gas, right? This is a win-win. A Usually, we're not advocating for something where there's brand new money on the table. So this one's a, this one should be a layup, right? Um, the problem is that our current policies really do incentivize waste from the utilities and we need to counter that. And so we need to start building the case for energy efficiency. And I gave you guys probably a lot more than I would give generally, um, depending on the audience, because you really do have to keep it simple. There are no shortage of of issues that people are concerned about, that people are stressed about right now. You have to keep it personal and you have to keep it simple. So we created this infographic. It's actually running in Southwest Florida on uh, Fox News right now. You'll go to watch a video. You'll get a pre-roll of this if you're in the area. Um, but it just has to be simple. Why is my electric bill high? Oh, you probably didn't know that Florida is, you know, 75% reliance on natural gas and that that it's a problem. Here's what we can do about it. It's just really, really, really tight and clean messaging so that somebody walks away not understanding megawatt hours or kilowatt hours or public service commissions, right? That's too much. This is, oh, there's something in it for me and there's something I can do about it. I'm going to help. And then you actually have to ask for help over and over again. People honestly want to help, but they really do need to be asked. I'm going to leave this uh, QR code up because this is literally me asking all of you for help on this campaign right now. If you scan the QR code, you'll be able to send a message to the policymakers asking for the state to come up with an energy plan that is more diversified in terms of fuel source and includes energy efficiency goals. And you have to, again, make it easy. If I put a, a link in here, some of you might not do it, listening in on your phone, it won't work, right? So what is the fastest and easiest way for me to deliver to folks to be able to be part of the solution? And that changes all the time. If you're doing an email blast, it's probably a link, not a QR code, right? Because then they got to get off their computer and onto their phone. 
So you have to really be thoughtful about what makes it easy. Um, and the QR code has been working actually really well for this campaign because of the way that we're delivering messages. We did a huge postcard campaign in Southwest Florida, which had this um, similar action alert in a QR code and we're seeing good uptake from that. All right, well, thank you so much, John, and thanks everyone for coming out today. Thanks everyone.